People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of series 6 of People's Poetry Podcast. This is the poetry and spoken word podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, a teacher and poet myself, as I wander the UK to chat to a range of poets and explore the UK's love affair with poetry. Now this podcast is not just for those who are already into poetry. Our mission, my mission, is to show you that there is poetry for all walks of life and there is something out there written for you. Series 6 was recorded in the middle of the global pandemic, I'm sure you've heard of it, via the magic of Zoom. Series 6, we've decided to hear from you and we have launched our new open mic segment of the podcast. Each episode, we're going to select one of the many submissions we've had. A massive thank you to everyone that has submitted. It's been really tough whittling it down to just nine this series. Uh, But each episode, we are going to hear one poem from a new voice from not just the UK, but around the globe. This is a story about what it's like. It's called A Day in the Life of a Modern Man. Maybe my favourite part of the day is when I wake up a little too early, thus getting to lie in a utopian sleep-awake state for a while. Do you know I only remember the dreams that are lucidly horrifying? Do you realise that someday everyone you know will die? Did you know that I find that fact comforting? Maybe it's the only truly democratic institution. Do you know that when it happens to you that the majority of 8 billion won't give a damn? And if that upsets you, have you any idea how self-aggrandizingly, self-centeredly, self-obsessed that is? Where are my pants? What country are my trousers made in? What material? Are they made ethically? Are they made by underpaid Bangladeshi workers toiling in horrific conditions? If they were, how would I know? Am I able to live my comfortable life because people are forced to work for pennies? Is that worth it? What if I feel utterly encased in myself? What else should I care about? Did I leave the door unlocked? Did I take the bins out? Did I read the news to learn about the world or to get my fill of righteous indignation? Am I supposed to vote for a candidate who I've never spoken to? Is it wrong that I've never spoken to them? Have I ever spoken to anyone on my daily walk to work? Why not? Maybe it's because I'm scared of them. Why is everybody so scared all the time? Is it easier to sell things to frightened people? Dear armchair activist, is clicking a mouse enough? Do you know all the statistics regarding benefit claimants, house prices, interest rates and so on? Do you know all the intricacies of Pareto optimality, of the deficit? Are you familiar with the Austrian school literature? Have you ever stared up at the Sistine Chapel and looked at the ceiling? Did you know Michelangelo got paid? John Lennon got paid. Do you know he recorded the line, Imagine no possessions in a mansion. Is capitalism the only option? Maybe I'll phone her again. Or would that seem too desperate? If I'd have gone into a different bar on a different night, would my life be completely different now? Does my life hang on such random chance? Am I just hurtling downhill, being diverted this way and that by encounters, emails and elections? What has actually happened in these last two months? Why am I living each day with a sigh in between? Is it lunchtime yet? Do I dare drink a decaffeinated coffee? Do I want the thing without the actual thing? Will I get cancer? Diabetes? Is there sugar in every single supermarket product I eat? Am I getting enough indole-free carbonol? Is milk good or bad for you? Is my life just maintaining a decaying machine? Would a caveman eat something if he didn't know exactly what was in it? Will people stop liking me when I'm fat? Do people like me now or do they just say that they do? Uh, Will I speak to you at lunch next week? Do I enjoy my work? Does anybody enjoy their work? If you gave somebody eight months wages up front and told them they didn't have to turn up, would they turn up? Would they come in and turn tables, measure hydrogen levels or analyse balance sheets? Have I ever had a meaningful conversation with my co-worker who is currently staring at me? Is it only two o'clock? Wait, why are they staring? Should I ask? What could my boss want now? Why does his face wear such a heavy expression? What the hell am I going to do now? Do I really need a job? Is the hobo I pass every morning? Are they happy? Am I? What about all the people who don't answer the survey? What about those who aren't looking for a job? What about those who are forced to do a job to survive? Isn't that everyone? Should I take the tube? Does anybody look at the advertisements? Does a child look at the huge voluptuous woman on that billboard? What does a child think of that? Do people notice the products at the corners of the screen that are tailored specifically for them? Is millions being pumped into this industry that has no effect on people anymore? Aren't other industries propped up by this phantom structure? How will I tell my parents that I've been sacked? 
Will I walk down this narrow alley-type street and be brutally attacked one day? Why are those people just just standing beneath that lamppost talking? I mean, who does that? Is jail necessary? Are people naturally cooperative? Haven't we needed to be in order to survive? Aren't we selfish as well, though? Isn't the only reason I do anything is because it will benefit me in some way? Mum, promise you won't be mad? Will I stare at my laptop from 7 till 11, then go to bed? Or will I actually do something? How many of these people are actually my friends? How many of these people would do so much as raise an eyebrow if they found out I was dead? Why are we going down this slippery slope again? Why has she still not called me? Do I take in any of the endless fragments of information that flicker in front of my eyes day in, day out, scrolling down, follow link for more, rinse, repeat? How many of my friends are staring at the screen right now? All of them? Are we just the most unproductive generation in human history? Or is that just my inherent negativity speaking? Does it colour my world? Why did she call and say nothing of any weight? As if nothing happened. Did anything happen? Or was it all just concocted in my mind? Millions of flesh and bone coming up with elaborate theories to justify their own base neurological activity. Dopamine and serotonin. Cells working to justify themselves, competing views of reality in a multiverse of thought. Our universe is where the powerful always impose their version of reality on the many. Will I sleep tonight? Please, please let me sleep. A big thank you to Stephen Durkham for sending in that piece. Now, I love a recommendation and through doing the podcast, I've made lots and lots of good poetry pals and Leanne Moden was kind enough to point me in the direction of Scarlett Ward who I sit down with today and we talk about her debut collection Ache out on Verve Poetry Press with a really interesting conversation about form and playing with poetry on the page too. Today's featured poet is the wonderful Scarlett Ward. Thank you for sitting down and chatting to me. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're going to talk all things poetry uh, and obviously we've got to talk about your debut collection. I'm right in saying debut collection? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ache, which came out on Verve Poetry Press, which you were kind enough to send me. And I've got to be honest, I devoured it pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> it, it is it is a really good read. I enjoyed it. We're going to get our teeth stuck into that. But first of all, how are you? I'm branding this lockdown as lockdown 3.0. And usually I ask how, you know, how you're getting on with it, how you're dealing with it. But you're the first part I've spoke to since we've got a bit of an end goal now yeah oh my goodness it's it's been a strange one hasn't it I found that um in the first two lockdowns reading was kind of the thing that got me through um but this third lockdown my reading habits have really changed like I feel like my attention span is somehow shorter um and I've not been able to like lose myself in books as much as I have with the other ones I'm not sure why perhaps it's just I don't know like a, a fatigue of reading so much um but yeah it's it's nice to have some kind of light at the end of the tunnel hopefully fingers crossed (laughs) yeah that um that first lockdown seemed like an absolute breeze compared to this one can you believe it's been a year yeah that's crazy have you found reading in the lockdown like I've been asking my friends this and everyone's kind of had a different experience um initially okay I think the thing I've been saying to to guess this series is I didn't realize how much the weather affected just me and my moods and my mental health like I've if I'm honest I struggled this time around and I'm one of those people who I understand mental health obviously being a teacher we get trained on it loads and um, you know I've never really thought ah it's that's not me it's not going to affect me my my mental health's fine but when I think about it this lockdown yeah it's it's really taken a bit of a bashing so this has made me read doing the podcast because obviously I'm, I'm reading collections and poetry but other than that yeah kind of the same as you it's, I've not really been as active as I'd like to have been in writing or reading this lockdown. Yeah absolutely I mean I joined a writing collective and a reading group to try and like encourage myself to at least still be like creating and like digesting the books I'm reading rather than like just skimming through kind of thing um, and that really helped so I definitely recommend if anyone's like struggling having a being part of like something whether it's a collective or a reading group kind of gives you a lot of motivation and something to look forward to because we, we meet um bi-weekly yeah so it's nice to have that little like thing to look forward to i keep uh talking to quite a few people 
this series actually about the little groups they have i, I need to get myself involved with one because they sound ideal not just for motivating yourself to write but for sharing sort of work in progress as well the sort of people to give you an honest opinion on stuff oh yeah absolutely and getting feedback from people um is is so important particularly if it's like very honest feedback I feel like you learn so much more um from someone who's like critically honest rather than just being like oh yeah I like this yeah yeah <laughs> um, but that takes a level of bravery as well I think to critique someone's work and so joining a group you kind of build these relationships where um people feel like they can be honest with you about your work and you feel that you can be honest with them about theirs so it's a nice little community um if you can find them there's little pockets of like collectives and stuff on the internet um but yeah i found them really useful i'm gonna have to check that out for myself i need to need to find the little little group don't i so let's i'm gonna go back right to the very start of uh well of your life probably and um asked you not not when did you start writing poetry, but can you remember or pinpoint the moment you were first aware of poetry? So it might have been a, a particular poem or something you were read as a child, or maybe it was a bit later in life. I don't know. But can you pinpoint that moment? Um, <laughs> oh, mate, I was like such an emo kid in school, <laughs> like proper, proper emo kid. Um, I think like my first um, exposure to um poetical kind of language within lyrics mm. um so like as a massive fan of like bright eyes and my chemical romance and like you know looking back <laughs> I say I cringe but you know I've got tickets to see my chemical romance next year so. <laughs> <laughs> well this year hopefully but um yeah so that kind of um scene kind of exposed me to the poetical kind of language and um and I joined a band and we were writing songs, that kind of thing. So I was like writing quite, um, you know, underdeveloped kind of poetry when I was in my teen years. Um, yeah. And then when I did my A-levels, we looked at Victorian poetry. And I then had this idea that you had to speak a certain way for it to be poetry. It was like, oh, you have to, you know, have a very formal kind of language and um, speak with this certain kind of syntax um, and it wasn't until I went to university that I was like oh poetry can be what you make of it it doesn't have to be this very structured and uh, strict canon it, it can be anything um, so I started reading much wider um, much more widely when I was in university so um, I guess I was exposed to like poetry in its different forms once I'd got to uni and I was reading much more much more widely yeah that's, that's a good point thinking back to when I started writing I think perhaps I did the same actually I've never really thought of that before like I, I thought there was a certain voice almost that you had to yeah I think because of the poetry you study at a level and things like that I mean we did do Simon Armitage and Caroline Duffy but even it, it, there's a formal quality even to their poetry isn't there it's not um it's not quite Russell Brand I guess when I saw Russell Brand write a poem I was like oh <laughs> like any, anyone can do this what happened to emos as well I used to love I used to love hanging about with emo kids at school oh mate we, we're still here we're still here like <laughs> we're just um, a bit older now <laughs> yeah I remember I remember sitting sitting in a park and my friend Joanne was an emo and she played me Panic at the Disco for the first oh, time. Oh yeah, Panic at the yeah. Disco. <laughs> so I, I was a I was a mod, so I wasn't quite I didn't quite fit in that world, but I think they appreciated that I was doing something different to to everybody else as well. So uh, got a lot of love for the emos. What was it then? So you said you did uh, Victorian poetry at A level and, and you went to university and discovered more poetry. What can you remember? What it was that sort of triggered that transition to writing serious poetry, as it were, for yourself. Well, I think, um, you know, the development of social media played a big role in it. So like Instagram poetry, when I was at uni, um, Instagram had just started to kick off. Um, and, it, you know, Instagram has become a really big platform for people to share their poetry, um, like yeah. Rupert Paul's kind of poetry. Um, and it, I guess it kind of, um, it's, a development on like the Tumblr quotes kind of thing um, and I found a poet called Michael Forday who I was like obsessed with um, and it was all very like short um, 
palatable, easily consumable, accessible poetry that was perhaps a couple of lines long. Um, it was really emotive. I guess the target demographic was like um, young writers who perhaps, you know, um, hadn't developed the skill beyond um, just kind of pouring their heart out onto the page, that kind of, and, and that's not to um, diminish the importance of Instagram poetry. Like, I think it definitely has a, a role um, in the poetry world and it, it acted as like a gateway for me. Um, and I was like, oh, this is like a way that I can incorporate poetry in my daily life and the way that I can like connect with people on the internet and mm. um, read different people and have them read me. And because it's all like very bite-sized chunks, it was easily digestible um, and easily shareable. Um, so that was definitely a, a really, I think a turning point for, for me particularly um, to transition between like the very stocky fat Victorian literature that I was reading to then going to university um getting Instagram and being like oh yeah the, it, like there's more contemporary ways of not only speaking but also of sharing yeah yeah there's a lot of uh snobbery around Instagram poetry I've spoken to a few people over the series about it um, and I mean I don't, like even even if you're for want of a better phrase a page poet and you know you don't really perform but you, you've got these poetry collections published and you put them on Instagram people sometimes still tend to like frown at that and I, I don't understand it it's just another way of sharing poetry isn't it yeah oh uh, you know what I'm, I'm kind of like bored of the conversation of people saying what is and what isn't poetry because at the end of the day if it's a way of someone to, to be able to share their work and access poetry and and read and write and access the community then I, I don't think there's absolutely anything wrong with it no. um, and so often it can be a gateway for people you know young people using social media it's a way for them to interact with poetry in a way that they they hadn't before like like I did um, I think certain you know poets who because Instagram is like the the way that it is you know so lineal and like you have to fit everything into that little square yeah. it leave a lot of room for development um but that's not to say that is in any way less because you know it can take a lot of craft to make big ideas fit into tiny little yeah sized um images so there's yeah there's an art to it and I don't think anyone should say it is or isn't yeah because it's all subjective when you put it like that, it is almost like a digital haiku in a way. Like yeah. if you've only got that amount of characters or space or whatever, and you're still producing something that that hits hits a spot with someone and they connect to it, then yeah, that is a craft. Absolutely. We got to talk about Ike, the debut collection that come out on Verve Poetry Press. As I said, I absolutely love it, and I know poetry obviously is you know like opening a window into someone's world and someone's mind. But with this collection, I think you really get a sense of not not just perhaps you as a person but lots of things that you love about life as well as some of the struggles perhaps you've gone through so, and I, I think it was it was amazing and I said so for anyone who's not read Ake how would you describe the collection? Um, so the collection itself I when I was writing it I really did not want it to be um, a self-absorbed kind of um, pity me misery project I wanted it to be um, reflective of my journey but also um, show that there can be you know hope at the end of it um, I read a really great quote no actually I heard it on um, a Spotify documentary um, I can't remember what it was now I'm trying to write my brain but someone basically said that the poet needs to get out of the way of the relationship between the writing and the reader. Um, and I didn't want to, Ike to be just me sat there talking about how much I've suffered and <laughs> my struggles. I wanted it to, um, I wanted the poems to portray these situations that people might be able to relate to in a way that made people feel like they weren't alone um, and act as a sort of, um, companion to someone who might be suffering um, and show that you can get through it to mm. be able to heal and find 
joy in life i've actually written down and he said hopeful i said when i read this by the end of it i was full of hope i was full of optimism <laughs> because i think i think exactly what you've just said there it does it's not it's not all about you you can tell that they these are experiences and emotions that you have felt but you very much do guide the reader through um the feeling more than it's all about you if that makes sense oh thank um, you yeah that was definitely something that um was really important to me and as I was writing the collection um I felt at one point I kind of stalled in the process and it was because I was still in the thick of it and then I took it a year out I spoke to my publisher Stuart who was great and he was like yeah just take a year um and work on it and it was in that year that I felt like I developed as a person to be able to write um in a meaningful way so I could actually work on my craft rather than just write in a cathartic way of you know pouring my heart out I, I was in a place of wellness that I could actually write with some element of uh, <laughs> of craft to it um and I think you know Virginia Woolf's A Room of One Own of One's Own she talks about the necessary elements to be able to write and one of those is wellness yeah um you know there's this really damaging stereotype of the suffering artist um and you know to be able to create we need certain elements of you know safety housing and wellness is one of them so yeah I really had to kind of go through what I was going through and then come out the other end to be able to write um yeah meaningfully what was that what was that like I mean you said obviously you were in a state of wellness when you uh, wrote this I mean what was that like to have to go back and and try and recall sort of the most intricate details or or it pain in in some cases like especially you've got a section in there haven't you about sort of uh, heartache I guess and mm -hmm. and the the ache and the pain that that sort of losing a loved one brings as well um I think um because I was writing throughout all that it was more like the editing going back and polishing um and I felt like I was well enough to be able to dive back into those situations like at arm's length um and treat it as though I was working on a piece of art or um like the mechanics of it rather than um like I didn't find it like triggering or anything like that because I was literally I was treating it like okay I need to get this piece of art to a standard that I like, believe that it will work. Mm. We um we spoke on a couple of other episodes this series about almost when you're writing about traumatic experiences that uh you you sort of achieve this sense of empowerment perhaps over over it after you've written it. It's it's mm. it is kind of therapeutic, I think, isn't it, to go back and and try and articulate all the emotions you were feeling at the time. Um, and then yeah you sort of gain this empowerment over it almost don't you and I think certainly with this collection by the end of it you don't feel uh sort of sympathy you feel empathy because you know that this person has got got to the light at the end of the tunnel by the end of this collection oh yeah absolutely it's a really empowering process and also knowing that um I've had messages from people saying that they really related to it and it helped them feel less alone that is a really great feeling um, but also, you know, when you when I perform at spoken word events, I often find, and I know a few of the poets have had this shared experience, I often find that the poems where I'm kind of trotting out my trauma and parading it are the ones that, um, you know, get the most, most clicks or the most reaction. Um, and I think there is a conversation to be had about how damaging that can be for artists to constantly be expected to... Um, parade their trauma and perform their trauma um, that's why I really love performing the last chapter in my book which is take is to love so like the uh, the performance of joy um, and I think you know the writing of joy is really important um, but yeah no definitely there is an element of reowning those situations and being able to um, feel as though I've reclaimed them yeah you mentioned uh the chapters there so this is split into four chapters isn't it heal endure love recover um yeah. which I, I really liked because it's almost like mini collections within the collection i thought that was a really nice way of doing it oh, thank um, you. when i went on twitter i saw um when when this 
was released sort of published you you put a tweet out talking about how you gave your manuscript to your sister because you were scared you wasn't going to survive uh your depression long enough i mean that's yeah. that's that's i mean crazy to think that how far you've come then being able to write about this stuff now oh yeah absolutely i mean um i when i was at my most poorest um i i even set a um a, a recording message on my phone you know when like you call someone and it goes to their voicemail i said yeah. like oh, hi it's scarlet leave me a message because in my head i was like oh i, I don't think i'm going to survive this year so it'll be nice for my family to have like a recording of my voice um wow. and looking back it was like I, like I was uh, yeah I was in an awful awful place and I remember sending my sister my manuscript being like making a joke out of it being like oh I might get hit by a lorry tomorrow so just so you've got this um just you know so like she wouldn't worry kind of thing mm. um but then like I say I took that year to like focus on myself and my writing and um got therapy um and yeah, just kind of sorted myself out. And, you know, it is, mental health is an ongoing issue. It's an ongoing thing. You never really like recover 100%. You just kind of learn ways to combat it um, and to look after yourself, which is, yeah, it's an ongoing thing. Um, but I think writing really gave me something to hold on to, knowing that I really wanted to get this out and <laughs> so I had to survive long enough just to get it perfect and then um yeah so I'm very lucky there's a a few poems I mean I've write down poems that um I'd like to talk about and there's always way too many so I have to whittle <laughs> whittle the list down but uh I thought spinner uh, and recovery which are in I think the first sort of chapter aren't they uh, I thought the imagery in those was amazing recovery you've got you've got all sorts of the sea imagery haven't you and the, and the sailing stuff which I absolutely loved but linking to what you just spoke about there and about this ongoing journey and mental health being sort of something that you never fully recover from but it gets better over time perhaps I thought Sunflower was such a nice poem because it, that is kind of about this healing over time isn't it you plant the seed together and by the end of it the sunflowers grown and and you're still alive like and you're sort of enjoying how beautiful the sunflower is and the life I guess so I, I thought that was a really nice poem thank you thank you yeah that was that was actually something that uh, did happen I, I planted some sunflower seeds um and some days when I was really really bad like the only reason I got out of bed was because I needed to water my plants <laughs> um but I think that's a really important message to take away like um anyone who's listening to this and and things like they can't get out of bed in the morning sometimes if you're just getting out of bed to do one thing like that is okay that's amazing that you've even been able to do that um and yeah by the end of the summer my sunflowers had, had bloomed and I remember thinking like oh we're both blooming at the same time <laughs> I love I love that it starts because sunflower seeds are I mean that they're, they're pretty in their own way aren't they sunflower seeds but they are very distinctive but they you start the the poem with beetle black and then we end with this sort of uh canary plumage and it's just such mm. a nice contrast in dark to to really light and joyful at the end yeah I, I thought it was great I loved it and I love the fact it's it's in sort of couplets so that's like you're together I guess yeah, with yeah the togetherness kind of thing and and that's why I love um page poetry because you can really play with form and almost leave these like little hidden um mm. inferences for people to pick up on um, I, I love spoken word poetry, but I, I do love the like, hiding little hidden meanings in the form or the structure of a poem and playing with the space on the page is really important to me. I've, I've never been a big fan of like writing particular forms myself. I try it every now and then. Like, there's a few forms I enjoy, but I'm very much sort of a poet that if I write, I write. And if, it, if it's in a form, it's in a form, but it's not the be all and end all. But I absolutely live for, as you said, playing with like page space. I think it's the, the the secondary school teacher in me, just so I could be nerdy with it with the boys at the school. Like, oh, right, come on, what's this? Why have they slid it out like that? But you do you do play uh, around with it. What's the other one? I absolutely loved where you put um, tired times, like how you've laid that out on the page to sort of mimic the uh, well. The way I took it was to mimic the the in and out of the tired the coming onto the shore and off I thought that was brilliant as well 
I love that. Thank you. Thank you. And I think um, you've got to kind of learn the rules to be able to break them. And I think a good example of this that I teach in some of my workshops is the sonnets. So mm. you've got like the very strict structure of a traditional, you know, sonnet, Shakespearean sonnet. But if you know the rules, you know how to break them. So you're like learning how to rebel. And if you're breaking those rules, what kind of points are you making? Yeah. So um, I'm like, I'm, I feel very much the same. I don't often sit down and think, right, I'm going to write a trio today <laughs> or I'm going to write a sonnet. Um, although I think doing that is a good exercise and it can help you like limber up your brain and work those muscles. Um, I think it's definitely worth learning the rules so that you can learn how to break them effectively and what yeah. kind of points you're making when you do break them. Yeah, but there are, I mean, I've just, I've named only those two, but there's a few other poems in there that you've played around and laid out different on a page, but um, I definitely think that added a whole other element to it. It's a bit like an Easter egg in a, in a film, isn't it? Where you're like, oh, they're, they're, they're linking that. It's like a little secret discovery, but no, I thought um, Tired Times and Sunflower did that really well. Oh, thank you. Um, I think there was one I, think I asked myself um, where and I've, I've never learned what is actually called the form of it, it like using the slashes um, to separate images. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I know what you mean. I, I can't think of the name for that one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I really enjoy poems that completely reject form as mm. well and, and opt to bombard you with these images in this kind of prosaic format um, of like a big chunk of text and then using these slashes as almost like turnstiles or like gateways to um, show you this image and then and then you're shown this image and then you're shown this image and it, that kind of bombardment of images. Um, yeah, so you can have a lot of fun with, with page poetry. <laughs> I'm such a nerd now, but I, I really, really enjoy it. Um, and, you know, in the same way that spoken word has elements that are particularly, you know, um, only in spoken word there are unique things to page poetry as well not saying yeah. one is better than the other but <laughs> no I'm a big fan of it I'm a big I think it's 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 less daunting as well writing stuff and just putting it on the page and getting up on stage and and doing it in front of people that's oh, obviously absolutely. obviously scary isn't there like you can um mask yourself and hide behind your words um and oh my god have you ever performed a poem where you talk about like sex or swear words in front of your mom man that is not comfortable <laughs> not not yet no <laughs> not, not yet no um I can imagine that is or in the audience in front of you oh yeah 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 no there's been times where I've been like mom do you want to just get <laughs> what is face of spring that that poem sorry what is true of spring can't read my own handwriting what donut um i absolutely love the stanza even fossils dream of dawn brittle from singing themselves hoarse clinking away under all that soil like forgotten coins in a deep pocket waiting to be unearthed so good and <laughs> obviously with the weather at the moment sort of turning and i just i just loved it it was the right time to read this poem now it's getting a little bit sunny and uh, thoughts of spring and nature but yeah, this idea of, of these fossils that people forget about, they, I thought fossils are a bit unloved, aren't they? So even fossils, <laughs> even fossils dream of dawn. I love that stanza. I thought that was brilliant. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really enjoyed writing this poem. Um, and it's funny, actually, this time last year, I, I recorded this and put a video off on my Instagram. So I think it's you're right in saying that. I think as poets, we kind of yearn for um, poetry that reflects our lived experience. Um, but yeah, no, this is a really fun one to write. Um, I really enjoy writing titles that run on into the rest of the poem. <laughs> yeah, there's a few. There's a few. Um, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed writing this one. And again, like I tried to make the form kind of reflect this idea of like um, a linear passage of time. I always, uh, when I'm reading a book, try to, and it's, it's quite a task a lot of the time, but try to single out my favourite uh, language technique be it a simile or a metaphor and okay, that is it, the secondary school teacher in you isn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> and in uh in your collection i absolutely love this uh in the poem your name which is an incredible poem I, if you've got if you've got a couple of minutes to talk about that one afterwards i would love to hear about that but uh it is like an overspent pound note never able to sit flat the same again 
what a simile it's <laughs> so so good thank you um especially as someone who frequents or used to frequent pubs when we could and the my my local is one of those dodgy not dodgy but like old spit and sawdust sort of pubs it's not very nice but and you've got pete behind the bar cash is king and it just made, uh, reminded me of this crumpled up cash and i thought wow what a simile to describe how you'll never be the same again after this sort of relationship that you've had yeah, thank you yeah i guess i kind of wanted it to reflect like you know um someone's name many people can have the same name but when you're in love with someone or you have a, a relationship with someone um their name is somehow like specific to them and only them and that name even though 100 people might have it it it's that person to you mm, mm. and that was the kind of feeling that i was trying to get across in that mm. such a good poem and then the other one i've got to talk about is the very end one to ache is to because i think it just brings together those four chapters so well it's sort of it's almost like a conclusion in a poem, isn't it? In a way, it sort of just marries all these ideas you've had throughout the four sections together very nicely. And there's that line, to ache is to know that pain isn't an absence of love, but rather the exit wound where it fell from the raw softness of your body. I was just like, oh. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think the, um, the whole collection is kind of an examination of the ways in which we can ache. So we can ache with longing, with melancholy, with heartbreak. Um, and I was, really concerned with examining those different kind of um, ways that we can feel pain because I think you know the lived experience is feeling pain um, and I kind of wanted to show this journey that I'd been on from being very much in pain in, in my illness to aching in a whole new way with love and joy and, and mm. um, you know love for the world as well um, yeah, so the, the chapters really afforded me the ability to be able to break it apart um, and examine each area separately. Um, but then at the end, I wanted to tie it all together and be like, OK, this is like, you know, we are going to ache in life. It is the lived experience it can be painful sometimes. Um, but that's kind of all the part and parcel of it. Yeah, I think reading, especially just the stuff about love, there, there was a time, I don't know, maybe like, a couple of years ago where I remember thinking and it's an odd one but I remember thinking I almost miss the the, the feeling of of heartbreak or of of like heartache because it's just you know when you're young I suppose like your teenage years as well and I was just thinking about it and reading this reminded me or perhaps not reminded me maybe answered the question because I was like why do I miss that feeling that's not a nice feeling I remember <laughs> I remember being a teenager like moping about and I think it is because that feeling is uh, proof that you are alive and you are going through a lived experience. And I think oh. your collection helped me come to that conclusion, I think, as to why. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, why perhaps that was because it's an odd one. Why would you ever want to feel that again? But I suppose I writing, love is, is, writing about love or sentimentality can be difficult. You know, you want to avoid the cliche, avoid the obvious. Um, but I think it was Mary Ruffle in one of uh, her essays on sentimentality said that the act of writing a poem in itself is sentimental so you don't you can leave the sentimentality um, out or something like that um and yeah I think writing about your lived experience can reach so many people and it is a difficult kind of balancing act between um not wanting to write cliche but also wanting to write joy and I think there, there's definitely needs to be more more room for writing joy in the poetry community Mm. But, um, yeah I know what you mean like the angsty teenage years <laughs> the it's developmental years can be uh, difficult <laughs> I mean I guess it I guess it's more a nostalgic yearning for it than anything I don't think anyone would actually ever want to go through that sort of heartache <laughs> again but but yeah it certainly helped me come to that conclusion what uh, what is great about these uh, poems as well is that there's almost these kind of motifs that crop up throughout so they're all obviously to do with ache but you clearly have a love of flowers which I think comes through in the poems and of space because there's quite a few references to uh, the stars isn't there uh, and the sea appears in a lot of them but I found that there was a handful of them that, that had this sort of uh, religious connotations to them I wondered if that was uh, something 
that you'd done on purpose or whether it's did you find religion whilst going through this um so i'm myself i'm not religious in the strict terms of like i don't belong to a religion i am Mm. spiritual i believe there is like something out there um but i think um the most references to religion in this are quite spiteful and they're meant to be so there is you know i was harmed at the hands of someone who claimed to be religious and it made me very um it feel a lot of hatred towards the religion because it's like god you can be so hypocritical and religion is is you know the church can often be very critical hypocritical um but yeah me myself I'm quite spiritual um I grew up in a Christian family um and I, I I like this idea that um there is something laid out for us like a a plan or um whatever that may be um I'm reading a really great book at the moment that I literally don't shut up about called The Artist's Way have you read it I have not no right so in it she talks about God being good orderly direction which is basically just like energy um so like your religion could be science but it's basically the idea that there is something at work whether it's your idea of Christianity or or not um so yeah right I think in my poems I do draw upon that fascination of there is something at play here um but most of the time when I'm when I'm talking about um religion particularly in the first chapter um like I don't know much about Catholicism it's it's very like it's a sharp reference and kind of a sly, snide, cutting reference. Yeah, there definitely felt like there was a sense of um, you being judged, perhaps, by 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 religion. Whereas whenever you talk about nature, I guess, flowers and the stars and stuff, it's much more hopeful and sort of encouraging. Um, to go back to sunflower, like that, that healing process, it's like you put your faith more in the, the things around you than perhaps this... Uh, this god that's got this idea of where you're going to go perhaps absolutely like you know believing in the universe believing in in the world around you and in nature Mm. um i was brought up with um you know my mom was very nature minded we'd always go on walks we had like a big garden and we're very lucky i spent most of my childhood like with dirty knees playing in the garden climbing trees that kind of thing and i think that definitely had an influence on my work yeah i i don't think i really experienced what true true nature was until i went to uh the moors when i went to see like emily bronte's parsonage and stuff like that i think i think growing up in in london you you, like a field it's about as naturey as it gets Um, so yeah it's always nice to read read about this this sort of love of nature and poetry for me personally anyway because I think I was deprived of it for such a long time growing up oh absolutely I think um you know where we where we grow up can have a huge impact on how we process the world around us I mean I was born and currently live in the black country so we have this kind of duality of industry a, a background of coal mining and then we have the chase which is a huge forest in Cannock um so we yeah we definitely have this like double identity whether it's like industrial or nature and and what that means to us as individuals as well as a shared community um but yeah I was very lucky to just constantly be outside when I was a kid (laughs) yeah what I love about I mean obviously we spoke about the poetry um and that is the main attraction here it's so good but I've never seen this done before. At the end, it's like you have a little uh, open mic section almost. You you give a couple of your, I guess they're poet people, like pals that you've got, and you give them space in your collection. You write a little bit about them, don't you? Sort of introduce them, and then and then you can read yeah. one of their poems, which is such a amazingly generous but lovely thing to have. I think. You know, this is um, not something that's unique to my book. All, all the books do it, um, and I have to thank Leon who put me in his book um and he he was an incredible poet and performer 
and um, he introduced me in his book um, and it yeah like you say it was the first time I'd, I'd seen this in in a collection I didn't um, realize I've got a few verb books I didn't realize that he'll do that I've got um I've got Beth Calverley's uh smiles uh, and I, I don't re- I can't that's bad isn't it I can't remember the poets at the end I've got um uh, Matt Abbott's as well I can't I can't remember so, collections or pamphlets perhaps they don't uh Beth's is a Beth's is a collection Joe you know what you're, you're you're probably right I've probably just got to the end of Beth's and close it and, oh lovely uh, Matt Matt's I can remember the end of Matt Matt Abbott's has rather than I don't think it's got other people but he's got poems that didn't quite fit in with the show because his book is mm. a, a, a book of his show and then he's got some odd poems at the end so maybe he's didn't have it but but Beth's I need to go back and check then <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Verve is a really great press because it's um, very inclusive. It's it's a whole community um, mm. and a lot of the poets like support one another. And um, it's that was one of the reasons I wanted to make a book with Verve was because it had such a great community. Um, and my first exposure to Verve was through Beat Freaks, which was like a collective in Birmingham. And they did an open mic um, for their fifth birthday and um just the amount of like poets I mean Birmingham's got a great poetry scene anyway great spoken word scene um but just to see this like community of creatives come together and I was just like wow this is something special I want to be part of this um so yeah I mean it was a complete honor to have um Sally Jess and Becca in in my my book and you know it's not just that they're my friends it's like they're poets that I really do believe in mm. um, and yeah it was an honor to have them in my book as it was an honor to be in Leon's yeah I'm gonna have to go back and check check that now because I, I think that is a lovely idea I didn't realize that's one that that happens there when, when you're um writing I ask poets this all the time because there's so many different responses do you find with your like writing process that you set aside dedicated time or are you one of those people where you can write nothing for a long time and then something clicks and you just start scrolling oh man I feel like you know I I should be like oh yeah I set aside half an hour every day (laughs) but that's just like you know not um not possible for me and I think that is like you know a class issue we need to have these conversations about working class people can't always set aside an hour a day to write when you've got to be making a living or like you know cleaning the house um but like I said earlier I've, I've joined a collective we, we we meet every Monday and that's been really great to um kind of motivate myself set aside the hour to to write every week um I try to do as many free writes as I can. I try to do a free write every morning as soon as I wake up for three pages. Um, and even if that's just like rubbish that won't end up as a poem, it's still helping my brain like limber up um, and get the thoughts out on the page and kind of pass that blockage. Um, I do try and create time because I think we can't just rely on creativity coming down from above and and enlightening us Uh, we do have to try and create that time but also you know we have to be aware that not everyone has that luxury to be able to be able to do that um so I think it's a balancing act I think it's a case of being able to make time for yourself and make time for your craft I found workshops also really really useful um joining as many as I can taking workshops myself um, and as, as well as leading them um to try and like invest in myself but also it's a case of like don't be hard on yourself if, if you can't do that every week because life is a lot right now <laughs> yeah workshops is something I definitely need to get more involved in I thought I feel you hit the nail on the head it's a bit of a balancing act really isn't it because I definitely burnt myself out at the back end of last year. Mm, yeah, um, burnout is such a, it, it's horrible, isn't it? It really leeches you of, of all your energy. Um, and there's this kind of capitalistic idea that we have to constantly be productive. And mm. that's just not how we as creatures work. It's not how, how we operate. I know after I created my book, um, I had a few months, probably about six months, where I just didn't write anything. Yeah. And I described it as like needing to inhale after the great exhale, just needing to like process the world around me and refill my my well of 
imagery that I can draw on later on. Um, yeah, and it, you, we just need to ask ourselves, like, why are we forcing ourselves to write? Um, if we need to rest, we are absolutely allowed to rest. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I ended up just saying I'm not writing anything for the whole of January and mm. it's been really hard to get back into it admittedly I think because of the lockdown and things like that but what with Covid restrictions on teaching and teaching and then I had these poetry deadlines coming up and I was shooting a poetry video in the small space we were allowed out with like one other person so it was yeah it was just crazy and then I got to Christmas and I was like no I'm not doing that next month <laughs> so did was... you find that doing like other creative things helped you stay in the mindset of being creative so like doing your videos and that and that kind of thing uh yeah I mean I'd never shot a, a poetry video before it was it was for um a right bloody UK they, I got shortlisted for the like final 20 for this competition for a book deal basically oh, and okay thank you and yeah I, I'd, I've never done one before so luckily this uh mate I went to school with is is a cinematographer so he was like I'll oh, come on we'll come and shoot it around like the town we grew up in and that but but yeah I suppose it did in a way it, it was something a bit different and mm -hmm. I actually had to it's the first time I had to learn a poem off by heart for a long time so that that sort of kept my brain active how do you find that because I, I just don't have the brain for it I find it really hard yeah I um I think when nine times out of 10, when I do like a performance at an open mic or something, I have, I have like it in front of me. I just yeah, can't, yeah. I can't remember it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that as well. Cause so, I mean, it depends, isn't it? Like, like you said, if people are really into the spoken word performance, then perhaps they're going to learn it off by heart. But mm -hmm. I don't think, I don't think it should matter at the end of the day. Impressive if you can do it, but at the same time, it's really take away from the poem if you've got it in front of you. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it, you know, it, if you've got a page in front of you and you're like struggling to see it, because I've got such bad eyesight, mate, like sometimes I'm literally having to like <laughs> hold it up to my face and I'm aware that that is affecting my performance. Mm. So I know now to like print it out bigger. Um, but I have so much respect for people who can just like blast it out because it, it it does make the performance like incredible, doesn't it? When you can tell that someone's yeah, yeah. got the rhythm and the timing and the beats, it's, it's yeah totally different experience but um I think it goes back to what we were saying about page poetry and performance poetry it's just different um like um disciplines aren't they yeah I just don't have the brain to memorize it I, I think I've memorized like maybe two <laughs> so, like my party tricks that I drag out now and then that's it <laughs> well because we shot the video in about eight different locations the trick the trick was because it was a three and a half minute poem but the trick was I only learned like one stanza per location. And then when we're driving to the next one, I'll be just learning the next stanza. Right. So I look, I look like by the end of it, I can, I can now belt this three and a half minute poem out. Um, if I think about it, because I did it so many times that day and the day before, but, but yeah, that was the trick at the day. I, I look more professional than I was on the day. <laughs> Definitely. I always talk about editing process because again, I find it so interesting talking to poets and, and the different ways they they approach their work so so when you've when you've written a poem and you've got it as its sort of first draft if you like you might put it away for a bit or you might edit straight away but what is the first thing you would do to that poem as part of your editing process um so first thing i do is i do like put it away because i think you can go you can go blind to your own work mm. um and then i return to it maybe in like a day or in the afternoon afterwards um my friend becca who is in my collection mentioned that it's great to get feedback from your non-writer friends and I never that never really occurred to me before because I was like oh yeah there's like you know a whole world of people who perhaps don't aren't familiar with the toolkit of a poet and like the mechanics of yeah, it and yeah. um, if you want to make sure it, it works as like a piece on a whole um there's a really really great book called how to be a poet um and it's published by Nine Arches Press by uh, Jane Jane Kamein and Joe Bell and in that there's so many little tips like get rid of all your garands and um your abstracts and all that kind of stuff so there's I guess it's all down to taste isn't it how you edit your poem um but yeah I think going through it with a fine tooth comb getting feedback getting feedback from your non-writer pals is a good place to start um and then I found that the longer I, I so when I realized I'd 
finished my collection and it was in a, a process of, of editing um it kind of depended on like how I was feeling on the day um so sometimes I would want a poem to move really quickly so I would remove all the stanza breaks and have to read it close together and then the next day I'd be like oh yeah no this needs to breathe more and then so I would have multiple documents of the same poem um and I found that really useful because it encourages you to not be too precious about your poem. If you've got one document, you're like, okay, if I change it, I'm gonna lose all my, pro my progress I've made with it. Whereas if you've got another document, you can literally like snip it, cut, cut it up, lose the last two lines, rearrange it um, without mercy. And you've yeah. got that backup that makes you feel a bit safer. And I think giving yourself that freedom to experiment can be really liberating and often very beneficial for your work. Mm, that's a really good idea I don't think anyone's ever said that um, <laughs> before but I, I, that's what they do in sort of marketing and uh, advertising don't they they'll have different variations of a logo or something don't they so my day job <laughs> <laughs> all right there we go there we go no but that's that is a good idea I've never really thought of that before because you're right you, you are you almost turn into a, sort of this golem figure don't you right with this poem and just you keep it here you're like no I can't take that comma out that'll ruin it but if you have multiple of them yeah I think that's a really nice idea yeah and also um I found it really useful to print out my poems when I was trying to figure out like the narrative arc of the collection on a whole um I found it really useful to have like the visual stimulus of having them on the pages I, at one point my living room floor was just covered in pages of poems so that I could rearrange them and see how one would affect the next and mm. the whole like tone of each chapter so that's yeah. also a really useful thing to do. I am um, I, I'm almost the opposite to yourself in regards to showing poetry to non-poetry people because for a long time that's all I had around me was non-poetry people and mm -hmm. I'd I'd show them a poem I'd written in the pub and they'd be like yeah it's good got no idea what you're going on about but yeah it's good uh, or or they'd, they'd be like oh I love this bit don't know why but i love this bit and for ages i thought yeah it's pointless showing them <laughs> but but now someone said to me i can't remember who it was someone said to me when i was uh chatting to them on, on an episode they said well no actually you're what you're getting from them is a, an emotional sort of review almost they might not perhaps get any of it but if it's evoked some sort of emotion it's done its job somewhere and i said like, oh, that's a good point actually so so i think yeah you're right it is it is useful showing non-writer friends as well I think another question I asked and it sort of leads on to from what you were saying you, you've got all your poems and, and you're having this this ongoing editing process for you when is it time to leave a poem alone and walk away from the poem oh that's such a good question um I have rephrased it because I used to say how do you know when a poem's finished and everyone would be like well it's never finished and I was like ah <laughs> so now now I ask when when do you walk away from the poem I walk away from a poem um well you know you did the standard spelling checks grammar checks you've done all the messing about um I guess for me when I feel like a poem is performing as well as it can is when I read through it and I just Oh, this is such a difficult question. Um, <laughs> I think when when you do walk away from poem and, and you give yourself space from it, and then you come back to it, and you 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 know you've kind of half forgotten what you've written, and you know you're not as familiar as you were perhaps a couple of days ago, um, and it is fresh. You get that experience of what you're trying to give your reader, um, and if you achieve that then you're like, right, okay, this is this is functioning, the mechanics are turning well in it. Um, so I guess when you've given yourself the feeling that you're trying to give your reader, that's when you're like, yeah, okay. But yeah, is a poem ever really finished? Or can it develop as you're developing? I, I mean, I'm sure you're probably the same. When you look back on poems that you've written a couple of years ago, you're like, man, I would do that so differently now. 100%. <laughs> I think uh, when you publish a poem, it's almost like it's been sort of chiseled into a headstone and you can't you can't really change it once it's once it's been published. But I quite like the idea, you know, sort of John Cooper Clark vibe where or, or like bands, actually, like when you go and see a band perform live and they just switch up the lyrics for a song, they just make these little changes and it's like the live version. That's I think that's a good way around it. If if 
if it's been published you're like no this is how I do it now this is the live version but yeah <laughs> live version I love that <laughs> so the um the the sort of broad question that I thought you thought that question was bad this one's even broader but the one I finish on uh the sort of the reason I started the podcast I guess was poetry is this this old form old archaic form of literature and here we are in 2021 sat on a Sunday morning chatting for almost an hour about it and and we've spoken about how you know poetry crops its head up all the time Instagram what, however the world evolves poetry seems to have a place uh, and people have this love affair with it and deem it as really important so in your opinion why do you think that we do still have this love affair with poetry oh good at this aren't you <laughs> um, <laughs> I think poetry is like a living thing and it's developed with us as humanity has developed um I think we are constantly looking for ways to digest the world around us to make sense of it um and we are very social creatures um what is poetry if not the process of holding something up and saying this is like this for me is it like this for you as well mm. and finding that um validation from someone being like oh yeah it's it's like that for me too and that like nice bond that you you create um there is definitely a relationship between the text and the reader and even if you've never met the poet you know you can read a poem and if it validates your experience of the world around you it is it, it's a really good feeling it reminds us that we're alive that um the world is either a good or a bad place either way it's it's a place that exists and we have a place in it is that answer as broad as the question perhaps maybe <laughs> no, i like it i like it that's probably one of my favorite responses to that question oh thank you <laughs> yeah i always ask it because I, I guess firstly poetry means something different to every poet i sit down with but everyone has a different view on why why it's important so it's a, it's a good one to end on I've, I've missed I've got in my notes here that's something I've missed so before uh, I get to the point where I get you to plug all your website social media etc etc did I see rightly on Instagram that you are starting a poetry magazine or have I made that up yeah so um the story behind this I was lucky enough to be invited to work with an organization called Homegrown 31 so they're an arts council funded organization that works with the community bringing um creative like classes and workshops to um people and they have done um all throughout lockdown all through last year and it was actually Casey Bailey who I'm so grateful um, who invited me to um, work with these guys. So I've been working with this great group of people. We've been doing poetry workshops and we were, myself and the, the guys at Homegrown 31 were like, oh man, these guys are so good. We want to provide like a platform so that they can showcase what they've been doing. Um, so I've been working with uh, Alex and Jarrell at Homegrown 31 to create this magazine so that these people who uh, some of them have never written before some of them have never written since they were teenagers um, and are creating really great work have a place to be able to publish their work um, and we're hoping that it will open to the public in, in future times we're working on the website at the moment um, and yeah it's, it's really exciting I'm, I'm really lucky to be able to work with these people um, and with such a fantastic organization so yeah, it's, it's really exciting. <laughs> sounds, yeah, it sounds exciting. I have to um, keep me linked up with that and I'll obviously share share that on our socials as well as soon as that's oh, well, Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's nice to be able to um, promote other people. Um, and as, as the editor, I'm I'm really fortunate I'll get to read all the, the pieces and then put them together. And I've been working with uh, the designers on the magazine, the layout, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's been a whole new experience, but something that's been really yeah, been really fun to work on. Yeah, I saw uh, I saw you come up with a name, but it's it's secret for now or something that you posted, wasn't it? You decided on a name, but you hadn't <laughs> hadn't. Um, yeah, no. So we've had the name confirmed now, so we can talk about it. It's going to be called On Your Doorstep Poetry. So the nice. um, the workshops were called On Your Doorstep Workshops. Um, so we wanted it to still be, you know, very connected with Homegrown 31 and with those workshops. And we thought On Your Doorstep Poetry Mag or, or creative writing um, in general, anything that they create will be, you know, included in the submission kind of process. Um, yeah, so it's going to be On Your Doorstep Mag. 
um, from Homegrown 31. Exciting. Editor of a magazine. <laughs> yeah, very, very lucky to be uh, involved on in that project. So where can uh, people find you online, keep up to date with your work and obviously other projects like the magazine? Um, so I post mostly on my Instagram, which is scarlet.ward. Um, and I tend to put like the swipe through links on my stories, um, that kind of thing with like workshops. Um, the workshop that I was talking about just now is Homegrown 31. So if you just search for them, their website will come up and you can um, sign up for the workshops. Workshops are actually free They're every Wednesday at half six. Um, or you could always drop me a DM and I can send you the link for that. Um, so yeah, they're super accessible, really friendly, um, fun, no pressure sessions. And the fact that they're free as well is, is really great because it's accessible for everyone. Um, and then my Twitter is at Scarlet with two T's. <laughs> it's a handle I made a long time ago. I should probably get around to changing it, but yeah. But mostly I'll put it on my Instagram because I've got the um, the swipe up function on, on my story. So I tend to just put the links on. Definitely go and get a copy of Ake that we've been talking about uh, on Verve Poetry Press. It was an absolute joy to read. Really appreciate you sending me it. And I appreciate you coming on and sitting down Sunday. Full Sundays could be like this. What a world it would be. <laughs> but yeah, thank, thank you for sitting down and chatting poetry. Oh, mate, thank you for having me. I've had a really nice time. Scarlett was kind enough to read one of the poems we spoke about from her debut collection, Ake for us. Here it is. What is true of spring is true also of ourselves. Learn from her. How she unfurls her flowered fists, waits for buds to burst from the end of branches, like beading blood on kneecaps or lacquer slicked at the end of knuckled hands. Heal from your wounds, womb first. Blood is no omen of death, but of the pact we make with life. Even fossils dream of dawn, brittle from singing themselves hoarse, clinking away under all that soil like forgotten coins in a deep pocket, waiting to be unearthed. What if none of us ever stopped singing? The same way an oak remembers its notes of green once April comes back around, no matter how much white winter had buried it in. A massive thank you as always to you at home for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share it with a friend. You can find us on Instagram at People's Poetry Podcast, over on Twitter at People underscore Poetry. You can find us on Facebook, People's Poetry Podcast. I'm on Twitter, Jbo, that's J-B-O, Pens Poems. And you can email us if you want to get involved with the show. If you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat or if social media just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch, it's People's Poetry Podcast at Hotmail.com. 